Welcome to our gathering, everybody. Thanks so much for coming and being with us. Had a, about 150 who were here a little earlier this morning at 9.30 for some of our small group studies and our conversation times. If you were not able to get out and to be with us earlier this morning, we invite you to kind of take a walk through our campus. There have been some changes. Perhaps it's the last time that you have been with us. Uh, in fact, uh, we got a lot of people lost this morning. You know, that's always what you want to do at church is lose people, right? Um, kind of goes against the grain if you think about losing people at church. But uh, we've got a lot of uh, different things that have been happening here on our campus. And we have renovated some areas uh, as you are walking. And if you go up our stairwell, if you go over that way into the Family Life Center, you might remember that our Chick-fil-A room, that's what we used to call it because it had old Chick-fil-A furniture in there. Uh, we're very original here. Uh, it was our Chick-fil-A room. Uh, that has been rebranded. That is now EB Commons. That is our commons area. And we invite you to, um, to go and to see that. And that area is going to be opened up uh, whenever we are here on our campus. I invite you to come and enjoy coffee, donuts on, on Sunday mornings when we are together. And to be able to enjoy just conversation with, with others who are here. Of course, we have uh, different rooms that are there on the track that we were using this morning for our, for our studies. We also have a new entrance um, onto or into our facility uh, is actually an area that has been here forever and a lot of you had no idea we probably had an entrance into our family life center that faces our main parking lot in fact I know some of you didn't know we had that entrance because you tried to get in the family life center from the rear and you were like I heard you say that there was an entrance we just didn't know we have an entrance and it's been here guys since 1993 okay it's been here that long uh, the only problem is we haven't used it since about 1995. That's <laughs> kind of how it works. Uh, but it has been uh, given a nice fresh coat of paint and uh, it has been uh, repurposed and we're glad to be able to use that. Um, our youth are going to be using that entrance as they come in for anything that's going to be happening uh, in the Family Life Center, in the teen area. Uh, so uh, parents, remind your kids of that. Uh, our teens are helping in our children's ministry this morning. Uh, we appreciate that as they are doing uh, kids' praise and we worship. They're in charge of that. We appreciate their servant hearts and being willing to help out Mr. Steve and others who are present there. And if you do have children uh, in our kids' praise and we worship area up in our children's center, you're free to pick them up after we are concluded here. So on Sunday mornings, you can bring them at 9.30, drop them off, and then they are able to stay for their class time. Also enjoy then kids' praise and we worship afterwards. Those who are in fifth grade will be coming back here to join mom and dad for uh, for our gathering worship time in here. But for those of you that are apart, we hope that you uh, enjoyed and um, we thank you for coming. We want you to come back again next week at 9.30 if you would like to, to participate and of course then to be able to stay for our 10.30 gathering worship. Uh, looking at, um, again, just better ways in which we can disciple one another, uh, ways in which we can continue to build relationships and to just encourage one another because let me tell you, there are a lot of people who are out there that are going to be against you this week. There are a lot of people who are going to be against you and hope that perhaps you're going to fail, hope that perhaps things are not going to go your way and we need to be lifted up and encouraged to know that God is for us no matter what is going to take place and that's going to happen here in our life because we're trying to live our best life. That's the series that we are involved in right now. And we want, you to, uh, we want you to have that kind of life because God wants you to have it. Last week we discovered that every one of us is driven by something. 
We're all driven by something. We're driven, we're guided, we're controlled, we're directed by something or someone. And all of these voices that drive us, they keep yelling a very similar message. They say that they're leading us to our best selves, our best life. And who doesn't want to live their best life? In fact, just this morning, I saw that Kelly Clarkson is living her best life. If you didn't know it, you can find it online. She's living her best life because she went to a Blake Shelton concert in the middle of a, a bitter divorce. And it's her best life that she's able to enjoy. Now, if you're not familiar with this idea, it kind of got started a few years ago, where living your best life began trending all over social media. And the appeal was that we were all encouraged to live, now get this, our personal best life, not someone else's version of what is best. So it wasn't about what society or religion or past generations said was best. It was about what we, the individual, determined to be best. And I, I shared with you an article last week from 2018 that explained that, that living my best life says, well, everything at this moment, despite society's standards, is just the way that I want it to be. The article continued to say that living my best life, millennials are saying this, we choose our own path and define happiness in our own ways. Now that sounds great, right? I mean, who doesn't want to live your best life? If you don't want to live your best life, raise your hand. Look, nobody in here raised their hand, right there. We all want to live our best life. It really sounds good. My best life as I choose to define it. But more and more what's happening is that our society is turning inward looking for fulfillment and success and happiness. And how's that going for us? I mean, do we really look around and think that people are happier right now? That people are more fulfilled? Are we any less anxious now than before? Are we more optimistic? Do we treat one another better? Are we really living our best life? You know, we also saw last week that overdoses and suicides are at a record number. The youngest among us are, are filled with the most anxiety and stress. The addiction is running rampant. It doesn't sound like we're living our best life. It sounds like that we're actually living out the caution of Proverbs. There's a path that each person feels is right, but in the end it leads to their death. You see, there's this inner search that everybody is on, but it just seems that it's just leading to lasting disappointment. So last Sunday I said, look, how about we just consider a different way? How about we consider a different way? Because if it's true that everybody's searching for their best life, and if it is true that we're all driven by something or someone, well, why don't we consider a God-driven life? I mean, we're being driven by everything else. How about a God-driven life? And, and I don't say that just because, well, I'm a preacher, and that's what you're supposed to say when, when you're at church. I, I say it because I truly believe God has promised to guide us to our best life. Psalm 32 verse 8, the Lord said, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and I will watch over you. Now, I don't know if you knew that that was in your Bible or not. I don't know if you knew that it was there, that God says, look, I want you to enjoy the best life possible. I want you to have it. I want you to experience it. And I want to guide you there. He says, I will advise you along the way. I'll help you to know which way to go. I'll remind you of the different obstacles that are going to be in your path. And I'm going to keep a watchful eye on you the entire time. There's no need to be afraid. There's no need to be worried. But you know, a God-led and a God-driven life is going to stand out and look a little crazy to those that are around us. And the reason being is because our best life, I believe, is a poured out life. 
Now, as we talk about what a poured out life looks like this morning, I want you to understand kind of what we're going to do. We're going to start at the end first, all right? A lot of TV shows and movies do this, right? You'll, you'll, you'll be watching the show, and you'll see the, the heroine, and there she is in peril, or, or the heroes riding off into the sunset, and, and you're like, well, well, how did this character get in this particular situation? And then, all of a sudden, the screen will go black, and you'll say, 48 hours earlier. You're like, oh, now I get to find out. Now I get to know how this all happened, and it's a way of, of roping you in. Well, what I want to do this morning, I want to rope you in by giving you an example of what a poured-out life truly looks like. I want you to focus you in on an amazing story, and then in the weeks to come, what we're going to do, we're going to focus on how that life can actually be ours. But the first thing I want you to do, I just want you to see what could be, all right? what could be. So we're going to look at a very important story. It's found in your New Testament. It's actually in, in three of your Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and John. They write at different times to different audiences, and yet all three of them include this particular story. And whenever you see something repeated like that in Scripture, it's a good idea to pay attention to it because something very important is probably happening. And so here we go. Mark chapter 14 is where we're going to start. Mark chapter 14. Again, your New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I want us to look and see what Mark has to say, and then we're going to go to John also. But here's Mark chapter 14, beginning of verse 3. It says, While Jesus was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar, poured the perfume over his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why is he wasting the perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked the woman harshly. Leave her alone, Jesus said. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. And truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached, throughout the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Now, have you ever witnessed an over-the-top outpouring of affection like this? An over-the-top celebration. I mean, that's what's taking place. Mark says, this is what it looks like when you just go all out. And when you pour yourself out, this is what it's like. And John then says, well, this is who it is. This is who did that. John's versions, chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived whom he had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. You know, by the standards of Jesus' day, apparently this was a very wealthy family. Because in those days, the custom was to put your savings into some type of commodity. I mean, they didn't have a 401k, you know, that uh, you could pour all your money into, backed up by the local camel union. That was not present. And so what do you do in order to save for your future? Well, you invest, you invest in some kind of commodity, and nard was a popular choice. It was a perfume that was made from a plant that grew in northern India, and people, people loved it. It was very expensive, and people loved the way that it smelled, and they loved the stuff. 
And it was easily transported. It was easily shared. You could bargain with it. You would say, hey, this is how much nard that I would like to have. And it's not an exaggeration when the disciples would say that one bottle of this perfume was worth more than most men made in a single year. So understand this. This perfume then is Mary's future. It's everything that she's worth. It's everything that she had to depend on in the days ahead. And it was too good for her to use. Not only was it too good for her to use, understand, her brother Lazarus had recently died and it was too good to use on him in his death to prepare his body for burial. But it wasn't too good for Jesus. I mean, after all, how do you thank someone who was raised from the dead, the person that, that you most love? You know, I don't think anybody would have thought less of Mary if she just kind of opened the bottle and, and kind of rubbed her finger there along the top and, and, and then just went over and, and just dabbed a little bit behind Jesus' ear, you know? I don't think anybody would have thought bad about that. They would have said, well, that was a really nice gesture. Man, how sensible that was. Look, she opened her fortune and she, oh, she gave some to Jesus. But you know, you don't care about being sensible when your heart is overwhelmed with passion. And when you're overcome with passion, you pour it all out. You're, you're, you're motivated to sacrifice more than you ever dreamed. And you see, I think the principal, the principal motivation for greater sacrifice in our life is greater love. At its essence, a sacrifice is when you give up something that you really love because there is someone else or something else that you love even more. It's the motivation of a poured out life. And we understand this, right? I mean, maybe when you were in college, your sweetheart lived in another town. And it was nothing for you to hop into the car and, and you would drive 300 miles for a visit. Man, and you would crash on people's couches and you would stay the whole weekend, stay as late as you could on Sunday night until she had to go back to her dorm. And, and then you would drive back to your school, arriving in the wee hours of the morning, you know, just in time to swig down some Dr. Pepper and swish it around in your mouth and, and go to class. And, and your buddies, man, they thought you were crazy. But you didn't think you were crazy. Because that's what love does. It makes sacrifices. It does dumb things. I met a man Friday night who drove his daughter all over the country to participate in horse shows. He said that he was once asked, don't you think you should have taken that money and put it in the bank and saved it for your daughter's college education? He said, well, I, I, I could have done that. But it would have meant giving up the opportunity to ride for hours, just, just her and myself in a pickup truck. He said, I would have had the money in the end, but I would not have made the memories. You see, you show me what you sacrifice for, and I'll show you what you love. Some people sacrifice their family for their job because, well, they love their job. And that's what you do when you, when you love something, you sacrifice for it. Or maybe you sacrifice your marriage for your kids because your kids are you love. Or you sacrifice your marriage for, for a hobby because the hobby is what you love. Or, or you sacrifice your money and your time for some kind of addiction because, well, well, that addiction is your love. I mean, that's what we do. When it comes to something that we love, we sacrifice for it. And this story that's here in our Bible reminds us that the closer we get to God's love, the more poured out our life is going to be. These three gospel writers put this story right before the story of the cross in order to say, look, let Mary inspire you. Let Mary inspire you to sacrifice what is most precious. Sacrifice it for God. Be like Mary.
It's a picture of what our life is going for. When you wonder, what does it mean to live your best life? It's a poured out life where you are just overflowing in gratitude and passion to God. It's like a story I heard about. There was a guy, and he'd been a member of a, um, a motorcycle gang in his past, and but he'd given his life to Christ, and it was his second Sunday at church, and, and there he was, and, and, and he was dressed, you know, he, he drove his, rode his motorcycle right up there, parked it in front of the church building, and got off, had all the leather on, you know, and, and he, not only did he have tattoos, he had some scary tattoos, you know, I mean, he, he had those that you don't look at and go, oh, that's nice, mama, you know, no, no, these didn't, that's not what these were. And he was dressed from head to toe in his motorcycle gear, and he goes in, and he's sitting there in this room, and there was an announcement that was made saying that there, they need to be volunteers that morning in the nursery to help with the children. And again, the plea went out, and nobody said anything, and he's looking around, and finally he says, uh, excuse me, pastor, I'll do it. And about that time, 20 mothers said, no, we've got it, we got it, we, we got it, it's, it's fine, we'll, we'll do it. That guy was an inspiration to others. I mean, he had only been in Christ just for, just for a little while. He had only been close to God. He was inspiring others to step forward and to serve. And that's what this story is supposed to do. It shows you what life looks like when it is poured out for God. Now, here's a couple of take-home ideas for us, all right? Here's the first one. Guys, a poured-out life is always extravagant. I want you to think about that. And I want you to think about the fact that the Bible never says this is the least you can do and still serve and love God. This is the least you can do. Just do, just do this much. I mean, just do this much for God. That's all right. Have you ever thought about why does the Bible say shout to the Lord? Why do the Psalms speak of holding up our hands in praise? Why can't we just sit on our hands and praise him? Why, why is there ever a need to bow or to get on the ground and pray before God? Why, why did David feel the need to dance before the Lord? I think it's because the real measure of love is not, is not calculation. It's abandonment. You see, the most sacrificial act in all of human history began with the phrase, For God so loved the world. So when it's God-like love, it costs you something. You see, a lot of people give to God, but it doesn't cost them anything. It doesn't mean God can't use the gift. It's just not God-like. It's God-like when there is cost involved. And cautious, calculated discipleship is a contradiction. Because a poured-out life is always extravagant. And it's always over the top. And people are going, what's up with her? But what's going on with this guy? Why does he give like that? Why does he care so much? Why does he serve over and over? Why is he always investing himself in other people's lives? Because he has a poured out life. Now here's the second thing. Second thing is that a poured out life is always an irritant. People get upset by other people who go over the top when they express their devotion to God. You ever seen that before? You see, some people know the cost of everything, but the value of nothing. And they can tell you everything's price, but they don't know what anything is worth. And so there was a room of people that disapproved of Mary's actions. And there were even some of Jesus' own disciples. And John lets us know that, that Judas was leading the charge. Now, I want, you to imagine, I want you to imagine what Judas is actually saying here, what's being communicated in this particular situation. There's Mary. She opens up the nard. 
She begins to anoint Jesus. The smell begins to fill the room. And all of a sudden, there's Judas going, uh, excuse me. You're giving too much to the Lord. You're giving too much to Jesus. Excuse me, hey, wait a minute. What, what are you thinking? Don't you understand that, that you, could, you could do so much more with this? You shouldn't be giving Jesus that much. You shouldn't be wasting your life on Jesus. There's a lot of Judases in our world today. There's a lot of people who look and see exactly what you're doing right here this morning and think, man, it's Sunday morning. And some of you guys, man, you got up early. And, and, and you got up early and you came to some building to sit and listen to a Bible lesson or to talk with people or to, to share some coffee. And, and then you stayed for another hour and you had worship. And, and, and some of you, you didn't even go to class because you volunteered to, to serve and make sure everybody was welcome and, and feeling good. It's like, man, what, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? And, and you know, it's not just something that happens on the weekends. D during the week, there are things that you're involved in. There are ways that you serve individuals that nobody, that nobody else really knows about. But then somebody finds out and they're like, I don't get it. I mean, why, why are you doing this? Why are you ordering your life this way? Why are you living like this? Why are, you, why are you talking to your children this way? Why are you guiding them in the way that you're guiding them? I don't understand. You're just giving too much to Jesus. God never asked you for this much. You know, radical discipleship is always going to get criticized. But I think criticism often tells us more about the critic than the one being criticized. You see, the purpose of the story is to confront that spirit within us that says, now what is the least that I can do and still make people think that I actually care for God? You see, I think sometimes we criticize people who go a little bit over the top and make us feel uncomfortable because we're trying to protect our own shallow version of discipleship. Why are they always running around like chickens with their heads cut off and doing things all over the place? Why are they always serving people? Why, why, why are they always, it seems like they're, they're always at somebody's home and they're always, they're always carrying somebody somewhere and they're, they're always investing themselves and I just don't get it. What, what, are, people, what are these people doing? You see, Judas didn't have a money problem. He had a love problem. And you should expect your life to look foolish and reckless to people who love anything or anyone more than they love God. Your life should look a little bit crazy to anyone who loves anything or anybody else more than they love Jesus. Look, you're not going to get their applause, but you will get God's. And the one who would not defend himself when false accusations were hurled at him quickly came to Mary's defense. And Jesus looked at the accusers and said, leave her alone? Stop bothering her. I mean, by the way, when you read the Bible, it's often a good idea to take special note on what ticks Jesus off. Right? When you see Jesus getting mad about something, you better take note. You might want to mark it and say, I don't want to do this. He says, look, she's done a beautiful thing to me. And wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, I want you to notice the prophecy that he gives here. Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, he knows he's about to be killed, but he also knows he's about to win. So he says, look, they're going to take this whole story to the world, and we're going global with this. And when we go global, everybody's going to talk about Mary. 
You say, well, why? He never talks about anybody else in this way. He never talks about anybody else's action. He never says, hey, they're going to talk about Lazarus. You know what? Everybody's going to be talking about Peter. He doesn't say this, but he focuses on Mary. And I think it's because that when you take the good news of Jesus' love, when you take the message of his sacrifice to the world, people are going to ask, well, how do I respond to a God like that? And Jesus says, you respond like Mary. You live a poured out life. Where you give it all. You give it all for the Lord. You see, the gospel is a greater love story. And at its core is a poured out life, a sacrifice that that makes absolutely no sense apart from amazing love. You know, Jesus said, he said it himself in John 15, greater love is no one than this than to lay down his life for his friends. So it was greater love that, mo- that, that motivated a greater sacrifice. It was greater love that motivated Jesus to lay down for a debt that we could not pay down. And God poured out on him. God poured out on him, not perfume. But wrath, everything your rebellion and everything my sin deserved was poured out on Jesus. And look, I believe that. And I believe that Jesus still stands as a substitute for my sins. And I believe that Jesus died in my place. And now if I really believe that, then shouldn't my life look a little bit different Shouldn't my life look a little more reckless? Shouldn't my life look a little foolish to those who don't believe that? I mean, shouldn't I want to be more of a servant than someone who doesn't know Jesus? Shouldn't I love more than someone who doesn't believe in Christ? Shouldn't there be a motivation in my life that comes from what Jesus did that makes me stand out and be different because of what I have through Christ? You see, my God can do immeasurably more than I can ask or imagine. And he has promised to guide me along the pathway to my best life. So shouldn't I respond with over-the-top devotion? And say, God, what do you want me to do at school this week? God, how do you want to use me at work? God, where in this city do you need this church? God, how do you want me to lead my family? God, what changes do I need to make in my life? God, how can you use the way that you have blessed me financially? God, what is it that I can do for you and your kingdom because of all that you've done for me? You see, this story is all about being poured out. It's a story that's challenging us to love like Mary by by sacrificing the things that we love for someone that we love more. And so we sacrifice our smartphones with all their emails and and all their to-do lists so that God can receive more of our time and attention. We sacrifice dinners out to our favorite restaurant so that we can invest more money in the kingdom of God. We sacrifice our vacation time so that we can go on on mission trips and share the story of, of Jesus. We sacrifice sleep so that we can help our brothers and sisters and anyone who's in need. You see, we sacrifice relationships that are far from pure so that we can be united with the one who makes us white as snow. And people are going to say, you're crazy. No. I'm just loved. And because I am loved by God, 
then I will pour out myself for him. I will spend and be spent for his kingdom because that's where my best life begins. Guys, we have been forgiven so that we can forgive. We have been set free so that we can grant freedom. We have been rescued so that we can rescue. And we have been loved so that we can love. God has poured out his best on us. Now how are we going to live this week? Why not live with the end in mind? And each day make the choice to live poured out for God. If we do, I promise, we'll start to know what it means to truly live our best life. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you so much for pouring yourself out for us. For pouring out your love, your mercy, and your grace. For pouring out your wrath and your judgment. For going over the top. For being so extravagant. So that your creation might be reunited with you. Father, help that, help that knowledge to seep in deep. Not just into our head, but into our heart. Help us to... Help us to visualize right now in some way you, you, you pouring out that love upon creation. Help us to picture a, 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 big, a big bucket there that's just being poured out with love. And, and as we remember that, not only today, but, but tomorrow and in the days and the weeks ahead, Father, may we choose to live over the top for you. May we choose to pour ourselves out in service for your kingdom. May, may we choose to, to spend and be spent. May we, may we choose to, to use our talents and, and our time. And may we choose to use all of the possessions that you have granted us with. May, may we choose to, to use all of these things in a way that will bring honor and glory to you. That we would sacrifice things that we love for someone that we love more and who loves us more. And, and God, I know that when we do this, that we're going to be irritating to some people who are around us. And, and I know it's going to rub some people perhaps the, the, the wrong way. And the people are going to ask questions. and They're going to want to know, hey, why are you living the way that you're living? And why are you doing what you're doing? Give us the courage at that moment to be able to speak your name. Give us the words to say at just the right time. Father, we want to live our best life. You've put that inside of us. And our culture tells us that our best life is wrapped up all in inside, all inside ourselves. Help us to see that we only experience our best life when we pour it out. When we give everything that we have in devotion to you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for Jesus Thank you for the opportunity that we have to be here, to gather today, and to sing praises, to commune with one another, to be reminded to live a poured out life. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.
Friends, we're going to sing one more song together, and as we do this, we want you to know that each week in our lobby, we have a room that's called our prayer room, and one of our elders will be there, one of our the shepherds of our church, and they'd love to have a conversation with you. If you'd like to talk about your best life and what that means in relationship to Jesus Christ, if you'd like to talk about the idea of being baptized, surrendering yourself fully as you, as you look to living that, that life of uh, obedience and, and over the top. Love to have that conversation. Or, or, or maybe, you know what, you have been faced with criticism. Maybe you've been beaten down because of the relationship you have with the Lord. And, and you've looked at today as being a time to kind of fill your cup back up. And you would just like to have someone to pray with you. You would be glad to do that. Or maybe, you know, you're here this morning and you say, you know what, I, I've been trying just to get by, trying to see just how little I can do and still make people think that I love God. Why don't you go back to that prayer room this morning and why don't you spend some time back there in conversation with, again, one of our elders and just say, you know, let's, let's have a prayer of forgiveness right here and now because it's going to change. I need to be living poured out, Right? And look, you don't have to necessarily go to that prayer room and talk to somebody for, to have that conversation with the Lord. You can have that right there, right there where, where you stand. But whatever you do, make sure you have that conversation because God needs people to be poured out in this society. God needs people to be poured out at your school and at your workplace. And, and God needs people to be poured out for him in this city. It'll be your best life if you'll give it over to him. Why don't you think about doing that as together we stand and encourage one another. Derek.